This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. A swing and a high fly ball. Deep right field. It's a slam. This is the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day Show, presented by Amron. How about the old Uncle Charlie here? pitch. Swing and a miss through the fastball right by him, and he strikes him out for the third time. And that's eight Ks for the Cardinal Hurts. Now, Mike Claiborne and Chris Raby with the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day Show, presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. Well, welcome back to another edition of Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Amron, Chris Raby, and Mike Claiborne with you in Jupiter, Florida, on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Claibs, uh, we've been down here a couple of weeks now, and Games start on Friday, believe it or not. Can't wait. Uh, you know, Chris, the great thing about this show, with each day we do it, we're always anticipating something happening, getting close. We were anticipating pitchers and catchers last week. This week we're anticipating uh, a game. It'll be pretty soon we'll be talking about opening day in New York. But I'm looking forward to it for a lot of different reasons. Uh, this, this team's got a lot of talent in the training camp as we speak. They're going to be some good players that won't make this ball club or will be moved elsewhere. And I think the competition certainly began the other day, but we'll see it on the field on uh, Friday. Well, we're going to talk a lot about that uh, tonight. We're going to visit with Cardinals President of Baseball Operations, John Mozeliak. He will give us his take on camp so far, the schedule, and what he expects moving forward. We'll hear from a couple of young pitchers as well, Claves. Jack Flaherty is going to get the start on Friday in the first Grapefruit League game, and Alex Reyes looks great, continues to make progress. I know Cardinals fans are thrilled thinking about, you know, just a couple of days after a year removed from his Tommy John surgery, what Reyes could do with this club this season. You know, he he's going to have an impact. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Uh, and Jack Flaherty will as well. Quick story about Flaherty. You and I were talking with him, and we also visited with Tommy Pham. They had a little bullpen session, and Pham was standing there watching him throw and picked up that he was tipping pitches. Flaherty went inside, pulled out some video from last year, and there it was. Now that he's got that figured out, he might be even more effective, and I'm looking forward to watching him on Friday. That kind of stuff is so invaluable, and just the conversations that we saw guys have today after their live pitching practice, you get some pretty incredible feedback from the hitter, the catcher, other guys behind the cage. It's amazing to watch that because not a moment or a word goes to waste. No, it doesn't. And you know what? These guys want to help each other because they know they're going to need each other at some point. And, uh, you know, Fam might be the most prepared guy you'll ever see when it comes to being ready to play and the things he observes. And when you got guys pulling for you like that, man, it's got it's kind of hard to get beat. Ozzie Smith, one of those guys here as well, along with Chris Carpenter, some guest instructors, the staff of Willie McGee, Mike Maddox, uh, a couple of the new additions, Jose Akendo, of course, returning. And, man, it's always great to see just the enthusiasm that Ozzie has to work with these guys. You'll sit down with the Wizard. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you know, they've dedicated an uh, infield field here in his name. And, uh, you know, he's proud of that. But we get into a lot of things about the game and the approach and some of the things he's been able to apply. But one of the things, Chris, 
he's just not here for window dressing. He's here, and he puts in as much work as any of the other coaches and instructors, always makes himself available to talk to the young players about preparation and things they need to be aware of. So it's a good situation all the way around to have the Wizard around. We'll visit with the Commissioner, Rob Manfred, and then we'll talk about some of the rule changes that have been enacted since we sat down with the Commission. A quick turnaround. I was a little surprised with the uh, way they were able to expedite this process and, and get some new rules or at least maybe call them guidelines passed. I think they put the finger in the dike more or less in order to create a, 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 an image of trying to resolve this issue. I don't think they're far from... Uh, getting it something where both pitchers or both uh, players and certainly ownership can agree on because it's it's a major concern. I know some people poo-poo it, but, you know, Chris, they're in the marketing business of selling their product, and if they make their product unattractive, then all of a sudden you won't have the attendance and all the other things that come with a successful league. So we'll see how it unfolds. We'll have another segment as well with Dr. Robert Butler, the director of Performance Clubs. Uh, you guys it just ran the gamut in terms of what you talked about. What a fascinating guy. And, again, it's not window dressing. You see him out on the fields every day. He's giving feedback. He's getting feedback. And really excited to listen to you guys chat some more this evening. Well, I'm a lot smarter because I was talking to a guy from Duke with a Ph.D., but the things that I've been able to learn about their approach and performance that we can apply is just just schmoes like you and me and certainly parents with their kids. Uh, I, I would suggest this. While we want you to listen to our show every week, when Dr. Butler speaks, there are some things you can take away. And uh, as a matter of fact, I was talking to him today. He was adding some more stuff. to. We may run this thing into the, to the all-star break at the rate he's going, but it's going to be good. You get out a pad and pencil and take some notes. There may or may not be a pop quiz later on this spring. Fans, you can guarantee your seats to the best games this season before tickets go on sale on Friday. It's the multi-game on sale that allows fans to purchase tickets to three or more games in 2018. Get yours now at cardinals.com. When we come back, the commissioner, Rob Manfred, is with us on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. It is great to have a couple of minutes with Major League Commissioner Rob Manfred here at Cardinals Camp in Jupiter. First of all, thank you for joining us. Give us an idea of what this month or so leading up to games is like for you as you're getting around to different clubs. Well, it's a great time of year. You know, we really, once you start playing again, um, focus goes back on the field, and um, I'm always excited to have that happen. Um, Certainly, the way the uh, players view the free agent market has affected the atmosphere. And, you know, um, it's interesting. Um, markets vary year to year. Um, this one's been a little different. Um, I remain hopeful, and obviously all of us want players to get jobs, and um, I, I think you're going to see some more players sign here shortly. There's a situation going on in sports where the concussion issue has become a big deal, mm -hmm. especially in football, and there are laws that are now trying to be passed where it will limit the activity of tackle football at the early stage. Is this a golden opportunity for baseball to get back into a field and try and generate more youth involvement where they'll continue to follow the game and eventually someday be in the big leagues? Well, look, we're, we're really interested in youth participation, generally broad, big pipe. Um, we're particularly interested in attracting the best athletes to our sport. Um, obviously, that's what makes our game compelling on the field. And we do feel that baseball has lots of advantages. Um, you know, it is generally a safe game, um, and that's an advantage for us. Um, but we feel that baseball can compete with other sports um, based on its own merits. 
You look at last year, especially through the postseason in the World Series, everyone was watching. How would you describe the state of your game right now? And you mentioned the best players, but it seems like a group of players right now that are as engaged and uh, acclimated and willing to interact with the fan base as we've ever seen. Well, you know, I I feel um, like we've had two unbelievable postseasons in a row. You think about it, two great seven-game World Series, the Cubs and the Indians, and then obviously... Yeah, Cardinal fans, we don't think about that one. Yeah, we, we took those two years. <laughs> and then the Dodgers and the Astros. Um, great series. Um, and, you know, drew tremendous attention to our game. Our television ratings were really strong. And I, I think that a big piece of it is just that we ha- we've been really lucky. We have a compelling talented, appealing group of young players that have come into the game, and it seems like it's year after year. Um, You know, we seem to get uh, another wave each and every year, and, um, you know, just very fortunate timing in terms of the health of the game. You are the steward of this game, and there's so many responsibilities that come with it. What's the fun thing for Rob Manfred at this point now that you've been on the job for a couple years? Uh, The the best part's the games. I mean, and you know, it's always important to remember whatever's going on from a business perspective, whatever issues we need to deal with in terms of labor, whatever it is, um, it, it's important to remember it's about the game at the end of the day. And, you know, I always enjoy the opportunity to see everything from a spring training game to Game 7 of the World Series. With that being said, how do you view this Cardinals organization, your relationship with Bill DeWitt, his ownership group, uh, their track record? speaks for itself and the product they've put on the field and the fans and who's come to Bush Stadium. But how do you view this, this franchise, Rob, as you come through and spend some time? Well, it's not just me. I think that in baseball generally, um, people view the Cardinal organization as a model. Um, you, you know, it's not our biggest market. Um, it's always been a financially strong organization. Attendance is always great. Great um, competitive teams on the field year after year. And, you know, personally, no one has been more important in this part of my career to me than Bill DeWitt. Um, you know, he uh, has really been the a great source of advice and guidance for me and, um, you know, something I really appreciate. Rob Manfred, we appreciate the time. Thank you for uh, stopping by as you spend some time in Jupiter and look forward to seeing you in St. Louis this year. Thank you. Just a couple of hours after learning about the rule changes, Cardinals manager Mike Matheny on what he expects and an overview on the changes that now will be implemented. You know, obviously not surprised because we've been in a lot of conversation about it and um, I'm in full support and understand that motivation is the information that we're getting from our fans and that's something the commissioner has made a very strong um, priority and rightfully so um, and so I think uh, it's great to have the cooperation of the players and everybody kind of coming together and got an opportunity to take a step forward as far as the direct impact that they will have that's pretty substantial I mean changing the rules of the game and I think the conversation is still happening and pitch clock obviously will be a conversation that will continue to happen but you know, making a, an investment, one, in some of the technology with the replay stuff, and then you're talking about speeding up in between and then taking a step forward. I, I think sometimes taking too many steps it might might not be the right strategy either. I think it was said well in the commissioner's release that, you know, give a chance for this to work and see if that does pick up the pace as far as, you know, not as much dead time, downtime, and, and if that works, then nothing else will have to happen. And Matheny said from his vantage point, 
limiting mound visits might not be a bad thing. I watched postseason, and there were some times where guys were going out the mound so often, I was getting tired of it. Mm-hmm. And so I get it. And our guys go, and they have a purpose, and it's just going to be more coordination. Yeah, you know, before we have a middle infielder or before we have a catcher go out, it's going to be check with us, and we'll say, go ahead. You know, it'll be fine. And then it's obviously something we're going to have to keep close track of. And, you know, some of the things are, are, yeah, we'll probably have to try and communicate a little bit differently where you're doing it from your position and trying to do that with 43,000 in the stands. It could be a little bit of a challenging, but I think it's just another um, another way that we're going to have to figure out how to communicate a little differently. Missing baseball season. Cardinals Nation and Ballpark Village is open seven days a week. Stop by for a bite to eat or relive some of the Cardinals' greatest moments by going through the Cardinals Museum. For more information, visit cardinalsnation.com. When we come back, Ozzie Smith sits down with Mike Claiborne on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. It's always good to see the wizard, Ozzie Smith, here at spring training. And now you have a facility named after you, a field? Well, it took 50 years, but yeah, there's a there's a there's a field, and uh, you know, I I guess I gotta thank Mark DeJohn who uh, made the suggestion a couple years ago to have a field, and uh, sure enough, as I get here today, uh, there's a field that where Cardinals go to become Wizards, so that's pretty cool. Only fitting. And, and you know what? I wouldn't mind seeing that with some other fields as far as some of the other great Hall of Famers that we've had uh, because guys have done so much for this organization over the years. But it's a neat statement. It's for the infielders to work with. And, and I noticed the grass is manicured where everything is a true hop. Well, I don't know if it's all a true hop, but uh, it is uh, It is very nice. And to be honored that way, Mike, is very, very special. And, you know, I had a chance to work on it a little bit there today. And and uh, as you mentioned, it, it would be a nice touch, I think, to, to put all of the Hall of Fame's names on some of these fields here. And that way you can take the numbers down and just, uh, you know, just say, hey, you're going to Bob Gibson Field or you're going to Lou Brock Field. Hey, for you, spring training, I mean, how many of these have you been to even when you were playing? Well, it's been a lot. I can't, uh, I can't remember the number, but it's always great being able to get out, get out in the uh, just before springtime and come down and um, get yourself ready for the baseball season and usually get out of the cold weather. <laughs> this is why some of us come down in January. Yeah. Hey, um, you know, spring training's changed, man. It's changed a lot. There's a lot more that goes into it, but there's a lot more expected players because most of these guys, if not all of them, are in pretty good shape and they're almost game ready. Yeah, well, you know, uh, uh, Mike, with the way that the guys are being compensated today, it doesn't make any sense not to come to spring training in great shape. Um, not that we, did, we didn't do it because, you know, we, we realized that if we were going to be the best that we could be, we had to come down here in some type of shape ready to go. And, um, you know, you look at guys now, it's a, it's a year-round job. For you, seeing Jose and Willie back in uniform, uh, one thing that was always said about the teams you guys played on, you guys, A, could play the game, always prepared. What are some of the things you think they'll try and pass on to some of these young players? Well, here again, it's the work ethic more than anything. And I think when you're trying to evaluate players, you look at what their work ethic is. You give me a guy who has good work ethics and less talent than the, than the guy who has the great talent and no work ethic, I'm probably going to get more out of the guy with less talent with great work habits because uh, the more you work, hopefully the, the, the better you get and the more consistent you become at, at, at your craft. 
for you, you walk around, you're able to help a lot of these kids. You have kids come up to you and talk to you and ask questions because some of these kids, and I don't blame them, are intimidated by Hall of Famers and people that show up. What about you? How do kids work with you? And Because you're not a guy that's going to go up and say, hey, kid, you got to do it this way. So how does it work when these young players come up to you these days? It's real easy. Mike, Mike has made it real easy. And in, in uh, his introduction uh, speak uh, when he introduced all of us, he tells those guys that uh, we're here for a reason. And um, we try and make it as easy as they possibly can. We don't try and force anything on anybody. Of course, I don't try and force anything on anybody. But if they want to talk about you know, what we did and how we did it, um, you know, that's why the addition of Jose and Willie, uh, the team got better without getting any new players. And when you can have people who can give the, the information and share the information and the knowledge that they have, uh, much like the George Kissels and, and the Dave Ricketts. It makes a, a big difference in, in, in how players go out and, and approach the, the game. You know what I think is missing is they should have a session and have you and some of these other guys who play just sit in a room and shoot the breeze and tell stories so these kids can learn about the game and players that maybe they didn't, they weren't familiar with, but when they hear about them, they'll know who they are. You ought to organize one of those things because that's some great stuff. And these, these are family stories in yeah, some cases. Kinda, yeah, we, we kind of did that this morning. You know, uh, you have those. That's what's great about being able to come down here and uh, spend some time in spring training is we have a chance to reminisce about uh, some of the things that we went through and some of the stories that, uh, frankly, most of us, a lot of us have forgotten, mm-hmm. you know, that are very, very funny stories. And well, when you see a guy, all of a sudden it comes it, back it to you. It comes back yeah. when, you, when you're in conversation and stuff. So yeah, that's what makes it fun coming down here and, and having a chance to see the guys and, and, and visit. And we, 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 we enjoy seeing each other. You know, it seems like, and, I, and I'm in that same boat, we've all known each other for over 30, in some cases 40 years, uh, seeing guys today, I think you appreciate them more now than maybe you did when you first met them. Well, you know, people like Jose Kendall, who have really kind of become the George Kissel of this organization, yeah. um, it's, it's, it's nice when you see how uh, they've developed as not only uh, uh, um, players but as, as people and as coaches. Um, Jose, you know, um, has really, really been one of those guys who – you talk about it maybe having the chance to manage someday. I don't know if, if he's going to have that, but he has that ability. And uh, hopefully he'll get that opportunity at some um, point in time, hopefully a lot later, because we, we've, we've got to use him to get ourselves back on track yeah, here. We've got to win some we got to win a little bit now. But, but he's that type of guy who you know that when, you, when he's out there at third base and you have a good third base coach, there's a real good chance that if he does his job and does his job well, that he's not going to be there long. What advice do you give players these days about how to prepare for this game? Because you were a very well-prepared person. Uh, you put a lot of work in, probably more work in before the game than a lot of people, as I see today. So is it more about how to prepare? Well, you know what it is, Mike, and, and um, this, is, this is what I try and leave young players with. The challenge is not about the, being on the field. That's easy. Yeah. The challenge is challenging yourself. Challenging yourself to be better today than you were yesterday, and if you can, if you can live by that that model, at working hard at being the best that you can be today, then you're giving all that you can give. And there's always you're always going up, you're always reaching, reaching up, not knowing exactly where it's going to end, 
But if you spend your career doing that, good things will happen. You know, because this is this game is hard, man. It's hard to get here. And I always tell people I think it's even harder to stay here. And if you don't have the right approach to it, you won't be here. That's exactly right. It's harder. It's easier to get here than it is to stay here. And and if you're a player that cares about and have heart and, and, and desire, then you're going to do everything that you can to prove that you have earned the right to be here. You know why I love your field so much? Because you don't have to throw it anywhere. So let's let's go over here and hit some balls. You can hit some balls to me. And I'm not, well, I'm not going to be as good as you, but I think I will. All right. Well, that's all part of it, thinking you can. I think we're going to end this. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Mike. The Cardinals Kids Club, presented by Rawlings Sporting Goods, the exclusive fan club for Cardinals fans age 13 and under. Tremendous membership benefits include two tickets to a 2018 Cardinals home game, an invite to a members-only autograph party at Bush Stadium, and much more. For more information, visit cardinals.com slash kidsclub. The president of baseball operations, John Mozeliak, with us next on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Hey, Cardinals Magazine allows you to follow the Cardinals in style this coming season. Get a subscription to Cardinals Magazine. Sign up today and receive two free tickets, all for just $35. Order now at 314-345-9000 or cardinals.com slash magazine. Another day of full squad workouts and Cardinals president of baseball operations, John Mozeliak, joins us on Cardinals countdown to opening day. What do you make of this week? Just four workouts really in earnest before uh, we'll be seeing a game on the field over our shoulders here on Friday, John. Yeah, it's sort of interesting. 48 hours from now we have first pitch. So it's... A lot of people at this camp have come up to me and, and they said, boy, it's quick and it's hard to get ready. But I, I think if all both of you guys have been sitting around watching what we've been doing, a lot of the hitters are getting as many looks at live pitching as possible to give them that, that ability to step in on, on Friday and, and hit the go button. But I feel like the pace of this camp has been very positive. I, I feel like the energy level has been exactly what someone like me would like to see and so so from a staff standpoint from a player standpoint i feel really good about where we are you know one of the other things you talk about the pace i'm impressed with the teaching uh by the coaches and how they're working through things and a lot of things are basic fundamentals but they're making sure there are reminders along the way and they're having fun with it well, clearly we made some changes to the staff, and, and that was for a reason. And, and I think when you look at, at having the, the types of coaches that we have in this camp, they are they are individuals who believe in the fundamentals, believe in teaching, believe in communicating, but do it in a in a spirit that makes it enjoyable to do. And, and so when you look at what's being accomplished from when these men take the field to when they start walking off, They've gotten a lot done in that time period, and uh, I certainly compliment Mike and his staff for what we're seeing. Mike spoke at, at length about Chris Carpenter and some of the teaching that, that he's done, some of the organic teaching that he's done, even with infielders and whoever it may be. What, what have you seen from Chris? Uh, he was with the club at the end of last year, but um, you know, Mike said there's just such an eagerness and, and such an excitement for whatever he can pass on. and. And we can tell if we're just standing on the side watching the way he interacts with guys. You know, not every great player is is a student of the game. Some great players just happen to be great players. Um, and there's others that that pay attention to the nuances of, of all the different elements that you may see on the field. And I did not exactly know what we were going to get out of Chris Carpenter when, when he retired and, and eventually wanted to come back to work for us. But 
speaking to him over the the off season and, and, and getting to understand how he's thinking about how he could actually put his fingerprints on this team or, or maybe more importantly on individuals was something that, that really opened my eyes to, to saying, like, this is something we should be tapping into and, and something we should be taking advantage of. And you look at our overall coaching staff, when you look at getting somebody like Jose Okendo back, uh, part of this major league staff, that's important. He, he, he's going to have a positive impact on this team. You look at somebody like Willie McGee who we've been blessed with having him in our minor leagues for the last few years. And, and candidly, when you sit in my seat, you sometimes want to keep those guys there because they are really making an impact on on your future. But he was ready to come to the big league, so we welcome that. And I also would say, you know, Mike Schilt and his role as bench coach, is he's the one that's really sort of keeping everybody moving. And, and so when you look at the additions we've made and, and, and the impact that, that these guys are going to have on the club, it's, it's something I think is exciting. And, and clearly, just touching real quickly on, on the two pitching coaches, because obviously that was a dramatic change for us, and, and seeing, you know, Mike's influence and got a lot of Mike's here, don't we? Um, so we so always do last. Well, I think we go last name only. So so Maddox is someone that you know clearly you can tell his fingerprints are on this camp because it's a lot different than what all of us have seen over the last 10, 15, 20 years at, here in Jupiter. Um, as we sit out here doing this interview, we still haven't seen these bullpens used, you know, and that's that's something that's unique. And and I think having the way he's placing his pitchers and taking advantage of it, I think is important. You mentioned bullpen and pitching, so you brought in a lot of guys with experience, guys who have been in different situations yet, and still people still clamor about a closer. It seems like you've got enough guys who might fill the bill. So, do you see closing more as a situation or a position by committee, or is this somebody that's going to step through and definitely just take the job? My experience would say I hope someone ends up taking the job now who closes in April may look like something different in in July. But my point is I always think it's a little tough when you use that word committee because bullpen pitchers tend to want to understand their role. And and I think when you get a little bit of ambiguity or vagueness, that's where sometimes trouble begins. And, you know, Tony LaRusso and I used to talk about it all the time. It's just sort of like having some clarity and direction and communication is probably the most important thing about the bullpen. But the pitcher himself tends to under, want to know when he should start be turning that on. But I do think when you look at the depth that we've been able to create in that bullpen, there's there's two or three people that could could end up doing it. And and again, I think you know the face may change as the season goes. But you know right now I'm pretty excited about what we're seeing out of these guys. You said at the winter warm up if the season started tomorrow or today, Luke Gregerson would be our closer. Do you is is it a goal to leave here? saying this guy this weekend in New York is getting save opportunities? Well, I think that'll probably likely happen. I, I, I feel like you know between now and the next five weeks, those things are going to be something that we, we try to work through. But, you know, a lot of people sort of have asked me about Gregerson and, like, why do we think he can close and, and the rest of the world doesn't? And, and, and that's a fair question. And, and I think for us, when you, when you look at, you know, walk rate, strikeout rate, very comparable to some of his better years, Last year, the biggest difference was he gave up 13 home runs. You, you know, you take those away, he looks a lot like he did in 16 and 15. And so, for us, our confidence level is he can repeat that. And take him out of Houston, where, you, where a lot of those went in the Crawford boxes, it could be a little different. John, what have your impressions been of the pace of play rules that came down earlier this week? 
Well, you know, I've always been an advocate for seeing the game moving, and, and I think sometimes, like, when I'm doing speaking game engagements or talking about it publicly, a lot of people are like, well, there's nothing wrong with the game. The game's just fine. And, and you know, I think the marketing our business or our, our the game of baseball to the newer generation is something that we have to be cognizant of. And, and how they interact with a game and how they think about a game Pace of game is important because you don't want dead time between pitches. There's nuances of the game that you don't want to pull out that have been with us for 100 years, and I understand that. But when you look at postseason games taking over four hours, you know, that's a concern. I know those games are exciting. I know we've seen two very impactful World Series two years in a row that, that, that I think for the most part people stayed up for that really loved it. But I've also heard many people that said I couldn't get past the fifth inning. So, you know, what, what, what are you trying to really do? And I think for us, you know, trying to find a way to, to get the game to move along, to get the game where the commitment for the fan is not something that becomes something that they feel like they've got to leave in the seventh inning, I think is smart. Do you see that, do you see that changing more? I know that the players in, in baseball really kind of went back and forth and they agreed on this, but do you think we're done with this? element as far as pace of play or we still try and refine it as we go well well they didn't agree the union right they just said we'll accept them but they didn't they didn't technically agree i don't know if it ever went to a vote so so i don't know that answer but but i think this was something that was was sort of meeting in the middle right in other words there, there was no clock that was enforced they agree that having shorter commercial breaks makes sense and and obviously i think the biggest part of this was the six visits and, you know, when you watch a baseball game, and I've tried to watch a few over the last week just to say, like, okay, that's a visit, right? Yeah. When, when, you're, when your second baseman goes out to pick up the rosin bag, that might constitute as a visit, especially if they have words. And so there's, there's some nuances of this that we're going to have to work through. But the spirit of what Major League Baseball is trying to do is no different than what you hear players trying to do. They're just having a little bit of a difficulty getting on what's the right way to do it. And, look, if, if, if everybody picks it up a little bit, then it might be over in terms of changes. But if, if it ends up being like, remember when we had the, 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 the sort of 20 seconds between pitches and, and the first half of the season, it, the game was snappier. And then second half of the season, it didn't. And I think for us, it's going to be where do we find that balance. And, again, if everybody's sort of pulling in the same direction – and hopefully this ends that discussion. But you got to see some impact. You know, over the last couple of days, John, uh, we've seen a lot of the young pitchers throw a lot of batting practice, a lot of arms that I know fans especially are excited about, Flaherty, Hicks, Helsley, Hudson. Um, whether it's young pitchers or if it's a uh, young outfielder, someone that's trying to make the team but wouldn't be in a starting role, how do you weigh and, and how do you use the next month to weigh what they could potentially give the big league club in a smaller role based on who's in front of them versus uh, their overall development and the amount that they'd be able to play at a lower level. Well, I've, I've sort of hinted to this all off season, and, and you know, when I talk about those arms as, as real depth, I think a lot of people just sort of you know, wanted to dispose of that or not hear it, and, and I would sort of like get everybody to think back to like what we did with a Lance Lynn when he was young, what we did with a Carlos Martinez, a Trevor Rosenthal. So when you look at those types of pitchers, Hicks, Helsley, Hudson, what do they need to do to help us? And clearly when you're looking at, 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 at their ability to get people out at the big leagues, there are some things that they need to work on. And is it easier to work on that 
out of the bullpen, or is it easier to work on that as a starter? I think when you're building a, a learning curriculum, it tends to be in the rotation. Now, having said that, you can pull someone out of a rotation and stick them right into a bullpen. Because clearly, if we were to do that with one of these younger pitchers, they would likely not be thrusted into the eighth or ninth inning right away. It would be something that would evolve. And so my real answer here is is getting them innings in spring training actually might be harder because of the depth we've created. But clearly, there'll be something that's very specific that they need to work on, and whether it's on the backfields or stretching themselves out in, in, in the month of April but knowing that these are resources that we may be able to tap into in 2018 is pretty exciting to me. Final question for me. Um, as you look at this spring and, and you watch everything that's developing, we talk about pitching, you've got a new addition with regard to your lineup. What about your bench? And are you looking around to see who else can be a left-handed hitter coming off the bench late and can do some things perhaps as a fourth or fifth outfielder? Yeah, I'm not overly concerned with the outfield protection because I think, you know, Clearly, we could have that covered, but I think the bigger question is: is when you're looking for that left-handed bat, you really are hoping for for someone that just gives you flexibility and isn't a liability. And, and so, you know, as we sort of watch some of the things unfold, I, there, there's one player in particular that I'm, I'm hoping has a nice camp and opens up a few eyes here, and that's uh, Valera, because you know, to me, he gives us a lot of flexibility in the infield, in the outfield, and swing on both sides, that, that I feel like would be very welcoming. Now, he needs to have a good camp. He really does. Because I think a lot of people here, you know, have their own impressions of him and, 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 and how they think of him. And, 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 you know, he's got to open some eyes because he can't just be a winter league performer. You know, you got to go out and do it. And, and so I'm hopeful we see that. But I will say to your point, Mike, is, is, is we will have to pay attention to what's happening around the league understand what what players become available when they have outs and and just make sure that we're protected. John, finally, we saw Alex Reyes. Well, didn't see, but talked to Alex Reyes after he threw another bullpen yesterday, said that everything's progressing along and that whenever it is, he's excited to get back and and hopefully contribute to the club. And whether it's, I guess, the major league level or if he's down in Memphis, how do you weigh a guy coming off Tommy John and their workload, but also – I think some people, when, when they're calling into the show or whatever, they're assuming that maybe he could go into the bullpen, but there can be some unpredictability in terms of rest, recovery, and the available usage, right? So how do you weigh that with a, dyna- with a dynamic arm, but also a guy who's a year removed from the surgery? Okay, I think there's a lot of ways we, we could sort of sort of work through this, but let, let's just sort of take the obvious, right? When he's ready to go and, and at some level ready to contribute at the major league level, and then the very first discussion is, is well, how should someone be used? And, and obviously, if you're starting, it's very consistent, very organized. You can plan that. As a pitcher, you know exactly what's expected of you. Then when you're the pitching coach or manager, there's a pitch count issue, stress pitch count issue, and then volume of innings that are going to get factored in pivot over to a bullpen role all of a sudden, and then you have the, the, the question marks on when he's going to be used, what is the right number of pitches to go, what is the likelihood of being used back-to-back, three days in a row has to be ruled out with someone coming back from Tommy John. Then the, the sort of last component of the bullpen role is then what happens next year. 
So all of a sudden, somebody like an Alex Reyes who, who goes out and, and pitches, say, a total of 60 innings this year, and then next year we're saying we're going to make him a starter, well, it's a real, realistic number that we could get from him next year. And, you know, you sort of use the 25% rule when you're looking at, you know, a, a build, and, you know, that's not going to do it from a starting standpoint. So it's 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 not like a simple answer here, and I know it was a little bit longer than both of you wanted to sit through, but my point is, is like when you're looking at bullpen versus starter, when I think about bullpen, I think about more of usage when you're talking about maybe a two or three inning role versus just simply one, exactly, or, or you know, quote, like a eighth or ninth inning type pitcher. Appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was really a pleasure, guys. Look forward to the next time. Cardinal fans, you can guarantee your seats to the best games of this season before tickets go on sale on Friday. With a multi-game on sale, it allows fans to purchase tickets to three or more games in 2018. Get yours today at Cardinals.com. Back to wrap up this hour next on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Missing baseball season, Cardinals Nation and Ballpark Village is open seven days a week. Stop by for a bite to eat or relive some of the Cardinals' greatest moments by going through the Cardinals Museum. For more information, visit CardinalsNation.com. All right, before we get out of here for the hour, let's give away some tickets to the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament. Six ticket vouchers for any single session of the tournament, March 1st through March 4th. For more information on the MBC games, visit archmadness.com. We'll give away a six-pack to caller five right now at 314-531-1120. Thank you to Rob Manfred, Ozzie Smith, and Cardinals President of Baseball Operations, John Mozeliak, for joining us in Hour 1. We'll talk some pitching coming up in the second hour. Right-handers Jack Flaherty and Alex Reyes will be with us. Flaherty starting the Grapefruit League opener on Friday. Reyes continuing to work back from Tommy John after throwing another bullpen session earlier this week. We'll also visit with... Lee Smith, Cardinals Hall of Famer and the Cardinals Director of Performance, the Ph.D., Dr. Robert Butler from Duke University. That's all coming up in the next hour. Chris Raby and Mike Claiborne with you. Ben Boyd, our executive producer. Mike Anderson in our Cardinals Network studios. And we're back after this with Hour 2 on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. A swing and a high fly ball. Deep right field. It's a slam. This is the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day Show, presented by Amron. How about the old Uncle Charlie here? The pitch. Swing and a miss. Threw the fastball right by him, and he strikes him out for the third time. And that's eight Ks for the Cardinal Hurricane. Now, Mike Claiborne and Chris Raby with the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day Show, presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. Welcome back. Maybe hard to believe that the Cardinals will be on the field on Friday for the Grapefruit League opener. Chris Raby, Mike Claiborne with you, along with Ben Boyd and Mike Anderson, Sam Masterson, helping us out down here in Jupiter, Florida, as well on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren. Jack Flaherty made his big league debut last year for the Cardinals. And after dominating double-A, sparkling in triple-A, and pitching in the big leagues, it was Flaherty who closed out the regular season, starting the final game for the Cardinals at Bush Stadium last year. He'll get the ball on Friday to kick things off in Grapefruit League action against the Miami Marlins. Jack, obviously uh, just the first full day of workouts with the whole team, but Mike, let all of us know that you're going to start on Friday. What kind of significance uh, does that have? Well, it means the start of the season. It's just it's game one of spring training. You know, Everybody here is ready to go. It was go time from today. You finally got everybody together. So... Um, 
all it means is it's the start of the season, the start of spring training, games games get going. So for everybody here, everybody's excited to get going, kind of get started, get things going, you know, get everybody here today was awesome. So it's just, it's, it's game one. That's it. Are there challenges to only having a couple of days with the full squad working out? I know you guys have been going since last week, or do you like the opportunity to get games started quickly this year compared to the last couple of years? I think that just plays in everybody's preparation. If you're prepared and you do all the, you do all your preparation in the off season, you're ready to go. It doesn't matter how much time you get before games get going. Like if you if you're taking that time in the off season to be prepared, you know you come in spring training ready to go, and or at least you know for the most part ready to go work a few things out here and there so um, it, it doesn't matter it just it, it just makes the off season more important were there specific building blocks from last spring even off the field stuff being in the big league clubhouse that you think contributed to the steps you were able to take and, and how quickly you were really dominant especially in double a yeah just just watching I'm, I'm very observant it's kind of how i am i'm not really gonna you know, I'm not one to really engage or talk too much. I just I learn by watching, and so watching the way that you know a lot of the guys went about their business. You know, very detailed. Everything is very detail oriented, very specific um, about what they're doing each and every day and how they go about their business. And that just I kind of took that, and tried to tried to kind of run with it and put it into my own program and maybe tinker my program a little bit. So just from that aspect, watching how they go about their business, it's, it's uh, it was it was definitely something that was that was fun to watch. We've seen some tweaks already to the way you guys do things, not just the timing and location, but also first time in, I think, 20 years that a pitching coach has come in from outside the organization. What have your impressions been so far of Mike Maddox and about the way that some things are maybe a little bit different compared to last year? You know, with the organization, when it comes to every, everybody, everything is detail-oriented. Everybody's putting in their work. Everybody's working hard to be the best at, at their job. You know, you want to do your job, do your part. So when it comes to that, everybody's very detail-oriented, making sure that they're doing what they need to do. And so Maddox, he's coming in. He's he's been very you know been very simple so far, but he's you know he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. There's a reason we brought him in, and I think uh, I think we're all going to see that. Big picture for you, just being over like on this wall, looking around all the major league games and innings and accomplishments that you're sitting right in the middle of. Is that any extra significance for you this year, knowing how many steps you took last year, and obviously how the organization feels about you and some of the other young pitching? Nah, it's just a confidence thing, you know. Knowing that you were able to get to that point, but it's not just about getting there right now. It's about getting there and staying there and being able to do it for a long time. Being like looking at his lock and see what he's done for all those years. He got there and he stayed there, but then he stayed there for a long time and he was at the top of his game for a long time and he's still doing it right now. So it's about getting to that point. It's not just about getting there, it's about getting to that point, staying there, and then continuing to do it. and do it really, really well for a long time. So it, coming to this camp, it was a little bit different, feeling a little bit different vibe, but still still the same attitude. Go and work hard, get everything that I need to get done every day. Cardinals fans, you can guarantee your seats to the best games of this season before tickets go on sale Friday. With a multi-game ticket sale, you can purchase tickets to three or more games in 2018. Get yours now at cardinals.com. When we come back, Dr. Robert Butler, the Ph.D. and Director of Performance, Sits down with Mike Claiborne. That's next on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. I have a chance to visit with Dr. Robert Butler. He is Director of Performance for the St. Louis Cardinals. And when you when you get in a situation, we talk about the development and the performance. What about dealing with 
a guy like Randy Flores who's going out finding these players. Do, do you guys talk about what you want to try and look for in a, in a prospect? Well, I think I, it's an area that we're getting more related to and connected with um, just due to access with players and different information that, that can be obtained. But, you know, it's interesting because Flo was one of the first people um, I met during the interview process. He'd just been hired on as director of scouting uh, after Gersh reached out to kind of talk about, hey, listen, like, like what, what are you thinking about? And, and, and Flo's a great barometer of does this even play at the big league level or where does it play? So that's, I mean, you know, I, I, I often will connect with Flo on, on a couple different areas, and he'll just start the flag and be like, no, there's no way that's going to work. And it's like, all right, well, it gets back to that why statement. Okay, why is it not mm. going to work? What's the rationale for it? What's the background there? And so because if the information is important enough, we got to figure out, and we all agree on that, we got to figure out how to make that happen. And, and it, like most things, it boils down to relationships, right? How do we connect, develop that why um, about the process that's, that's in place? But then certainly um, connecting with flow on some of these you know, secondary metrics of identifying where guys are coming in at and then where they can potentially project to has really been an area of focus from ourselves, from connecting with um, Flo and his group with, um, with amateur scouting and just figuring out how can we utilize as much information as possible, not to be the answer, but to supplement some of the questions that may be not answered currently. So, you know, where we talk more subjectively, is there an objective measure that can kind of reduce the variability in that space that we discussed to draw a line in the sand? And we're, and we're still we're still much more from the what we call performance side of things, learning about how to interact best. But we're also getting quite a bit of data coming at us from USA Baseball and some of the combines they're having. And it's you know, what's the signal? What's the noise? And then how do we um, factor that into the overall process but really you know my the interactions with with uh, amateur scouting with randy flores have been multifactorial but really think about okay when a player gets boots on the ground here after the draft how do we best integrate them to start them on their process down which we hope is a really productive career in the organization i'm glad you brought up the the scouting combines and all the amateur things that take place the showcases what sort of information are you starting to gather that you see some consistency in uh, with these younger athletes in their development? Well, it's it's still very specific and site-specific, um, but there has been a push from um, USA Baseball to almost systematically identify some things that can be tested. And going back, not dissimilar from the physical education test, broad jump, vertical jump, running speed, those kinds of things, and have that information available for whomever. It's not done on all the players. Um, it's certainly not done at the college level. But additional information you can have on that lower level standpoint or the, the younger player standpoint to start to, I mean, there's no answers in there. you got to find the answers yourself. Um, but there is a little bit more of it being done at different at different showcases, which can be helpful um, as long as you have an internal way to, to um, take that information, turn to something usable, and figure out how will it um, relate to, I mean, one of the things we've seen is, is do we see the same results when we see players um, step foot on the ground in, Johnson City, GCL, State College, like, what do they look like compared to what they looked like at, at, at a time of testing? And, you know, certainly for a high school player, they're like, look at it, come here. So we've got a lot of, not, not control, but we've got a lot of people on the ground to collect that information. Um, but it's really a balance of, you know, that information that's collected with photo cell timers and other relatively objective measures just adds to, you know, once again, not the majority, but just adds to what is the makeup of that person overall that, 
we're expecting to kind of walk in the door as a St. Louis Cardinal. Hey, Cardinals Magazine allows you to follow the Cardinals in style this coming season. Get a subscription to Cardinals Magazine. Sign up today and receive two free tickets, all for just $35. Order now at 314-345-9000 or cardinals.com slash magazine. Chris Raby with you. When we come back, we visit with Alex Reyes. The right-hander continues to progress after having Tommy John surgery just over a year ago. That's next on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Amarant on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Joined by Alex Reyes, who has now thrown a couple of bullpen sessions for his Grapefruit League game Friday. And uh, Alex, uh, first of all, you can see a smile on your face right now, getting back on the mound and, and starting to ramp it up. Uh, what's it been like for you? Uh, it's been fun to be able to get out there and, uh, you know, just throw in, in this camp and, and be able to, you know, to continue the process and, you know, looking forward to live VPs coming up soon um, and just excited to be here and a part of this group. So, so, so this was your third session, right? You did two sets. Uh, well, just walk us through what you've done the first three and what you've thrown. Uh, you know, we first started off with simple one bullpen, 20 pitches, and it, you know, ramps up from there, 220 uh 225 and we did 315 and today we were able to do two of 25 so um, we've been able to just you know keep adding on the amount of pitches and and hopefully build into you know strengthening the arm it's been about a year since you went down with the injury but you did something a little different you stayed with the ball club a lot during the year with regard to your rehab what did you take away from that because a lot of guys will go home or come down here and just train I was able to take away a lot. You know, I learned from guys like Wayno, guys like Yachty. Those I, I I watched Yachty break up, break down. You know, a hitter and and Joey Votto and how he does his you know his game plan and, and how he goes about that and and Wayne Wright with the way he you know he grinded throughout the whole 162 game season and you know his work ethic and and the way he was in and out of the training room and then the gym. I was able to pick up on on those kinds of things and also in the dugout just being able to observe the game, uh, reading hitters, you know, seeing different situations and, and how fast the game is actually up there. Yeah, that's funny you say that. The game is a little faster, but you have to slow it down to your pace. But you work reasonably quick, so I'm not sure if there's a big difference for you, but there's a lot of things going on in between pitches. Yeah, um, I mean, it definitely is. The game works faster because the guys they the guys up there, they, they know exactly what they have to do, and they're, they're prepared for mostly every situation. And, uh, you know, coming up through the minors, you see a lot of mistakes in, in games, and, and those mistakes cost you games. And in the big leagues, the team who makes the fewest mistakes usually wins, and, and those are the things, you, you know, you take away from that. Alex, what was it like, too, to be able to rehab with somebody like Zach Duke, who's obviously been around for a while? I think he... May have had the fastest TJ recovery that we've seen. He was back picking and uh, pitching in the bigs, but to be able to, you know, push each other and, and work together in St. Louis, what did that do for you? It was it was great. I mean, Zach, you know, he's just, he's uh, he inspired me, you know, a lot. He's one. Of, he came back extremely quick, as you said, and I mean, the work he put in with with Thomas and and Jason, he he, you know, he just relayed the message on on how to trust these guys, and you know, some of the growing pains you go through this process. For you, uh, you've had a couple of bullpens, as we mentioned, and are you starting to work on things, or are you just getting trying to get used to throwing with regularity? Um, I mean, my arm has been feeling pretty good, so I am trying to, you know, harness command of the fastball and, and work on, you know, bettering my de- bettering my delivery to the best as possible, and, and that's, you know, trimming small stuff out, small bad movements, and, you know, we were able to work on some things today with, with Mike and, and, you know, not getting my head down or leaning too forward and just small things like that where we're trying to you know simplify it throughout this process as you've worked with him and i know it's been a brief time 
Are you, uh, is he a mechanic sort of a guy where he works with your mechanics? Um, you know, I, I haven't got to work with him that much, but uh, he, he he's more of a guy who actually he shows you these things, and he, he was giving me small pointers and, and stuff like that. So I'm wondering, like, at this point, Alex, when you know it's pretty much in the trainer's hands, is it frustrating if you feel like you want to push a little bit more, or is it kind of nice to say, listen, I'm doing everything I can do, and I'm just going at, at their pace? Um, I mean, it's not frustrating because, you know, they've, they've done it before, and they they have reasons b- behind what they do. And, you know, as a as a player, you know, you want to be on the field healthy, and not only for this year but for years to come. And, I mean, if these are the steps we got to take to get there, I'm, I'm willing to do that. I mean, as a competitor, of course, I mean, I want to be on the field game one spring training if possible. But, uh, you know, those are things that come into play with surgery. You just have to be realistic with it and, you know, flow with the boat. Imagine, though, yeah, the date just came and went a year. You've gone this long, worked your tail off to this point, an extra month or so when you're thinking about how long your career could be in the big leagues. It's, it's small potatoes, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It is. It's a month, a month and a half or two months, whatever it is that, you know, the organization wants or whatever it is that takes me to get back to where I need to be. Um, I mean, I'm willing to wait. I'm I'm patient. I'm also anxious, but, you know, I know patience comes before that, and I just have to be ready when my name's called, and, I mean, hopefully it's sooner than later. Well, it's hard because everyone's talking about you too, right? Like, I remember we were at the Cardinal Caravan, and some guys said, can't wait to see you May 1st. You said, May 1st, and the guy's like, yeah, Chris said that on KMOX last week. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so sorry, man, I just heard that from John Moselock. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, again, those, those are things that were said, and, I mean, I'm willing to do whatever it is that gets me on the field and on that big league roster. You know, I want to ask you finally, too, as you've been going through this, and I know it can be really tough, you have incredible success in the big leagues when you come up, and then all of a sudden you're shut down when you're trying to make a ball club again. Has being a father affected your outlook on things that, yeah, I want to get back on the baseball field, but there are some things bigger than baseball, and and did that help you through this last year? Yes. I mean, having my daughter with me throughout the whole season, watching her grow and, you know, watching her take her first steps and, and stuff like that, it, it puts uh, things into perspective and, and what's important. I mean, you look at you look at yourself today in this clubhouse and you look at every each you look at each and every locker and everyone comes from a different family or a different home and I mean at the end of the day we're a family here in the clubhouse but family, family, you know, blood family is is amazing and I, I really love my daughter and she's she's definitely changed the the outlook for me in my life. What do you think about adding some of the new family in there? Uh, what are your early impressions of uh, getting to know Marcel Azuna been? It's awesome. I'm, I knew Marcel uh, a few years ago. Not, you know, now we get to share the same clubhouse and watch him compete. I was watching him always on TV and, you know, how, how much of a study he is. And now to have him on our side and not have to face him, it's, it's going to be amazing. Well, man, I know everyone's so excited. Uh, thanks for updating us. We'll continue to follow the steps and can't wait to see you back on the mound. No problem, Chris. Thank you guys for having me. Cardinal fans guarantee your seats to the best games of the 2018 season before single-game tickets go on sale Friday. It's the multi-game pack. It allows fans to purchase tickets to three or more games in 2018. Get yours now at Cardinals.com. Cardinals Hall of Fame ballot uh, is out, and fans will be able to vote very, very soon, including... Lee Smith, he's on the ballot. He joins Mike Claiborne next on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren right here on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Welcome back, everybody. We continue with our Countdown to Opening Day here on the Cardinals Radio Network, and it's a real pleasure 
to have a chance to visit with a gentleman who was nominated to become a member of the Cardinals Hall of Fame this year. He spent 18 years in the big leagues, four years with the Cardinals. He averaged 40 saves a year with the Cardinals, 478 in his career. He retired the all-time save leader. I'll get to why I don't know why he's not in the Hall of Fame yet, but I know he's going to be in the Cardinal Hall of Fame here very soon. It's a pleasure to welcome Lee Arthur Smith. Lee, how are you, sir? I am doing good, man. I am doing real good, man. Anytime I get to talk anything about that St. Louis thing, I had some great years there, man. Enjoyed the the city. It was, oh, man, it was unbelievable. Matter of fact, I just got back a couple of weeks ago. I got inducted to the Missouri Hall of Fame, man. So I, I'm, I'm rolling in high cotton, brother. Yes, you are. And, and, you know, it's interesting. Uh, your four years here, I mentioned you averaged 40 saves a year. I mean, for a guy who uh, had 160 saves in that time frame, that's a lot. How much fun was that? Because you started off in Chicago, traded to Boston, and ended up in St. Louis. Uh, what was that like for you? Because you had experience under your belt by the time you arrived. Well, you know what, man? Uh, when I left Chicago, man, I had, you know, as, as a closer – I was throwing 100 in the year, man, and they they was like, they thought I'd talk about swimming, but washed up. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm only 29. I'm just uh, figuring out this game a little bit, you know, if you can consider that. But when I got to uh, when I got to St. Louis, the only thing that was sort of disappointing is that having good years like that, the team never got an opportunity to go to the playoffs, things like that. But you got to give credit to the other ball clubs, and, and uh, we had a couple few injuries and things like that, man, but actually playing there in St. Louis and, and the city and the fans were so knowledgeable of the game, that was one place I really loved. Still found a big place in my heart. And for you, uh, you had some good players on those teams. Who was your manager? And, and name some of the guys you had a chance to have some fun with. Uh, well, I, I tell you what, man, my favorite manager was definitely Joe Torrey. You know, Joe Torrey, man, he, he gave me one of the biggest compliments I think I ever got in my career was that he said, you know what, there was only two guys that he had that kind of a confidence as a closer with myself and, and the great Mar, um, Rivera. And that's the one thing that I got to say, man. You know, Joe Torre, he would just give me the ball and walk off, you know. So that's the confidence that he has me, and I enjoyed that, you know. But, you know, Joe Torre was one guy you didn't want to get caught in his office, man, because he, he looked like he could, um, you know, kill a big family and go have a breakfast, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> You know, he just had that look about it. Says, "I want to get it right. I don't want to be caught in Joe's office, man." But you know what? The team, the team that I had there, man. I had, uh, you know, Ray Langford was there. You, you can't go without mentioning Ozzy Smith, man. I think Ozzy probably got him in the things that I did there because he saved my butt a few times. But, uh, <laughs> but you know what? Pedro Guerrero didn't get a lot of credit, you know. But he drove in a lot, lots of RBIs. Tazia was there. A lot of guys that played a long time in uh, uh career. Bill Trump was probably one of the best guys off the bench, you know, that we had. And, um, but it just was like all around it was a team effort. It's just the other, the, way the, the other clubs at that time were playing so good. You know, you mentioned Pedro Guerrero, and, and when you were part of the Cardinals and he was here, I'm not sure if there was a tougher right-handed hitter in the game because, as you mentioned, he could drive in runs with anybody. But, man, you talk about timely hitting and just the fact that you couldn't fool him, you couldn't trick him, and you certainly couldn't get much by him. Man, I'm telling you, you know, Pedro hit a lot of home runs. And, you know, a lot of guys thought Pedro was like 6'4", 230. Man, Pedro was like 5'11", about a buck ninety. But if you look at that boy's forearms, man, he was strong, man. He's one of the guys that had that opposite field pop. And we just had a good ball club, you know, nucleus of the guys in that infield, you know, with – we had Okendo and Zill was in there with us for a little bit, you know, and 
And, you know, we, we just played uh, team ball, you know, and uh, Peg Nazi actually got some, uh, some really good time to hit, but it was just a, a, an overall effort off the bench, and we had a good bullpen. That's a really good bullpen guy there. Lee Smith is our guest. He's uh, on the ballot this year for the Cardinals Hall of Fame. And, Lee, uh, when you look back at your career, you had success everywhere you went. And I always tell people, you know, when it, is, when it comes to the Hall of Fame, I think they ought to ask people who faced you what it was like because I remember those days in Chicago and it would be almost dusk and here's the big Lee on the mound and you're throwing 98, 99 miles an hour. Then you found a way with that activator that would roll off your hair. That would make the ball move a little bit more. too. So I, I think that anybody who had to face you should go to the front of the line and cast a vote on how tough it was to face you. And certainly we saw the same thing in St. Louis. Mike Shannon always talks about maybe the hardest throwing guy he's ever seen with the most incredible control. Well, you know what, man? I, I really pride myself on that last thing that you just said. Most of the guys that, you know, throw 95, 96, they just rear back and throw the ball. And I always pride myself on being able to hit that outside corner. I learned a lot from that uh, a young fellow by the name of Mr. Ferguson Jenkins about learning how to, to set up hitters and to get out hitters and reading the speed of the bat and things like that, you know. But the one thing, like I said, I did pride myself on was control because as a closer, you don't get that second chance, man. You go out there and you miss with your spot, you don't get a second chance that next inning. And plus the fact that if a team loses a game in the fourth inning, they go like, hey, man, we got a butt cut kick right in the fourth inning. But to be out there with two outs in the ninth inning and lose a game, it takes a toll on the ball club. And not just the closer. I think it takes more of a toll on the whole team itself, you know, because most of the guys already packed that win away. You have that one we call the snatch back. That was a tough thing on the ball club. And that's what I prided myself so much is listening to guys like Ozzy, you know, in, in, in the clubhouse talking to the team meeting, say, hey, man, we got to get the ball to Smitty. That was the best confidence. Well, Lee, for you as a pitcher, uh, one of the things I look at is the fact that you were more of a fireman uh, in your day because you didn't just wait for the ninth inning. We, we would see you sometimes in the seventh and eighth inning, and then they say, oh, by the way, can you get the last three? Th- that role's changed quite a bit since you pitched, and I, I, I don't know if people appreciate what you were able to do in the innings leading up to the ninth inning, unlike today where a closer starts an inning clean in the ninth and he just has to face three guys and he doesn't have to worry about it because he's only going to pitch one inning. Well, you know, man, it, it was a tough thing because, you know, if you look at the ball team now, the, the save opportunity might not come in the ninth inning. So that save opportunity might be in the seventh inning, and I think we didn't have 14, 15 pitches on the staff either. So the starter would go, and then you, you throw one guy in there. But now I think it's gotten to where it's, it's so everything is so though, put on that computer about the left-handed specialist and the setup man. I actually think the setup man role is tougher than the cold role now. But – no one likes to be out there making that, getting that 27th out, man. It's, it's a lot of guys that have been good set up men, but they couldn't get that 27th out between them and the team winning or losing the game. But I always pride myself on going out there day to day and, and pitching a couple of innings because sometimes you go out there and, and the guy swing at the first pitch, man. You throw four innings, you throw four pitches, the inning is over. <laughs> I always like to go out there and like see what I, you know, the next time around and actually to build up arm strength. But uh, I think it's a good thing sometimes for certain guys that have injuries and stuff like that as a closer, you know, to not stretch them out there so they'll be fresh uh, in the playoffs. But you don't, you don't, you don't put a team in the playoffs in in, um, in uh, July. You put a team in that playoff in that in that September. But the one thing is they're trying to keep the guys fresh. But to me, I, I think the closer role has changed to 
Flamwood, I think, it's, it's gotten so, so, you know, so much a, a instinct on pitching the eighth inning or pitching the ninth inning. You know, sixth inning game. I, I could say it was a sixth inning game if I was in the bullpen. But it, the, the, the game has got so much so different now. It's gotten to the better, I think. For for you, as you watch, and I know you work in the uh, San Francisco organization <clears throat> in their minor league system. Uh, a lot of these guys throw hard, but do you think that they is it? Is it a situation now where they throw hard and that's all they're able to do? They still haven't figured out how to pitch. And there's a difference in in situations where maybe you don't have your best stuff certain days. You have to find a way to still get guys out. Do we have guys that continue to think like that? Is everything already on a computer spreadsheet for them, and then they figure it out from there? I think that uh, thing is on that computer spreadsheet, man, because uh, you find so many guys, as you just said, throwers and not pitchers. You know what? I can go out there on a day-to-day basis if I had my 97-mile-an-hour fastball. I think I could pitch easy like that, you know. But when you go out there that second or third day, and now you don't find many guys pick back-to-back days either. But when you go out there and you know you don't have your best stuff and you go out there and learn how to get guys out, that that was probably the best thing that happened to me because I actually thought I was a better pitcher later on in my career than I was because I was a thrower early because I wouldn't throw my second or third uh, pitch, you know, in that first two or three years in the big leagues as a closer. But when I got older, I went to Boston and I started learning, you know, a little bit of a split finger, taking a little bit off the fastball. We call it a BP fastball. You know what? I learned how to pitch. It was St. Louis I got there, and you let your defense help you because back in the day, man, you know, everybody had that, that pride about wanting to punch out the side. I'll take the sixth pitch out in the inning in a hurry. But that's when you learn yourself and you learn your defense that, and it has a lot to do with the catch that he's on to also. Lee, for you, uh, you are a guy that enjoyed the game, and, and you play with guys who enjoyed you being around. But who, who was a guy that, that when you got to the ballpark you were looking forward to seeing because he can make you laugh and he could keep it loose? I got to go with that Ozzie Smith dude, man. <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he was awesome, man. Uh, he was just one of those guys that was like, he was like your, your, your team leader. And Ozzie would give us so much advice that I would like to go to the hitters meeting. And just listen to these guys talk about what they're looking for, you know, with two outs and, you know, a guy on second base, what they're trying to do, get the guy over, and situational pitching and who you're going to let beat you, who you want to who you want to get out when the game's on the line. You know, you, you, you just look at those things that you learn from a hitter standpoint that a lot of pitchers like myself went to the hitter's meeting. But the one guy that I enjoyed getting to the ballpark was definitely Ozzy Smith, man, because Ozzy would talk to us about, you know, not wanting to win 10 straight. You know, he said, man, you need to win series. You need to win three out of four. You win uh, two out of three, and you sweep those two game sets that uh, that you're supposed to sweep, those guys like that. That's how you put together a winning season. And we had some good seasons. You know, it's just, like I said, you got to give a credit to the other ball clubs. But uh, Arthur Smith was one of the uh, one of my favorite guys to get to that, especially in St. Louis. And I got to give a lot of credit to that old crazy clubhouse. Boy, we had Buddy Pete. <laughs> he was unbelievable, man. He was funny. Hey, tell the story about the home run that you served up, and you were a little upset, and, and Buddy kind of said something to you just to kind of keep you loose. Oh, uh, man, I, well, I, Buddy Buddy was one of those guys, man. He, he'd come in there, man, in the clubhouse, and he'd see me sitting there because I was sitting there thinking about the game. The whole team's gone. And Buddy would actually, he'd come in there like, hey, big fella, how'd you hold that ball? I was like, <laughs> I'm like, man, I ain't never seen a ball go that far, you know. And, and then we get into, um, we uh, uh, we get into, uh, uh, I think we went to Montreal after this, right? And 
And I get there, and, and Buddy's like, hey, Leroy, I think I see that ball landing on the, on the end of the daggum runway out here. It's <laughs> And he was like, man, I'm glad you sacrificed yourself for the team so we could get to Canada. Because we were going to get in late, and I was going to be up to 4 in the morning. I'm like, but it was just those things like that. that buddy, you know, Buddy Bates and those guys like that that I really miss. And i tell you what, to this day, I still come to St. Louis. I look for the ground crew guys, and, you know, and Bones and all those guys like that. C.J. Sherry, I got a chance to see him and things like that. And and uh, I got back there, I saw Donna Laurie. You know, when I was there, man, and I remember Roland was like four, man, when I met her, man. But just to get back and see those people still in the game, that's a good thing. Well, Lee, uh, congratulations on the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame. Congratulations on the nomination for the Cardinals Hall of Fame. So we got one down and two to go, and, and hopefully we'll have a chance to see you in St. Louis in August uh, when they have the announcement, and uh, we'll see Lee Smith putting on that red jacket. That would be beautiful, man. I just want to say congratulations to all the other guys on that nomination for the, uh, the Cardinal Hall of Fame. Couldn't be a better organization, man. And thank you so very much. All right, let's give another six-pack of tickets away for the Missouri Valley Conference Men's Basketball Tournament, the 2018 tournament coming up March 1st through the 4th, and we'll give away a six-pack of ticket vouchers to Caller 5 right now at 314-531-1120. For more information on NBC Games, visit Arch Madness. Com. We'll take a break. Come back. Joe Strom of the Cardinals joins us next before we wrap up this edition of Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Well, we have our first Grapefruit League game on Friday, and we head back to St. Louis to say hello to the Vice President of Ticket Sales, Joe Strom. Joe, how are you, man? You ready for baseball? I am ready for baseball. Nothing better than to be hearing games on the radio once again coming Friday. It's going to be great. And also coming Friday, individual tickets for the 2018 season are on sale beginning at 10 a.m. Of course, some uh, fantastic, fantastic matchups. Dynamic pricing with tickets prices starting as low as just $5. Cardinals.com is where you go for Friday's individual game sales. But, Joe, I know you guys uh, want to let fans know that uh, right now, starting tonight or even tomorrow, you don't have to wait if you want to pick up multi-game tickets. You're exactly right. If you are going to purchase at least three games, you don't have to wait till Friday. You can go and purchase those tonight or even all day tomorrow. Go to Cardinals.com, and you can purchase those three tickets um, immediately and not have to wait till the individual tickets go on sale on Friday. Fans, quite frankly, average about four games a year anyway, so why wait? Go ahead and get the best selection. You can go to Cardinals.com, Cardinals.com, and before tickets go on sale Friday, multi-game sale allows fans to purchase tickets to three or more games this year. And, Joe, I know that uh, folks like to go on and pick out the matchups that they like, pick out the promotional items that they like, and, again, just a way to get a jump start before things start going crazy at 10 a.m. Central Friday. You're exactly right. And uh, what I would recommend people doing, going to the website and looking at cardinals.com, uh, slash promotions or cardinals.com slash themes. Look at all the great giveaways that we're going to have this year, the great theme nights, and go ahead and purchase those tickets now. Um, it's going to be a fun year at the ballpark. Uh, Megan Everhart and her group have done a wonderful job of putting together a great, great number of promotions throughout the year, and I think people are going to enjoy receiving those promotions when they come to the ballpark. Yeah, go to cardinals.com slash fan values, cardinals.com slash fan values. I know that uh, you guys had the great uh, special last week and sold all sorts of $5 tickets, Joe. I think it's pretty cool that if you don't want to worry about carrying cash to the ballpark, you can add cards cash, 12 bucks worth of cards cash to a ticket 
for just ten dollars. Then maybe get your first beer without even thinking about it, or get a couple hot dogs without even thinking about it. That's just one of the ways that you guys offer fans some extra value on the website. Again, at cardinals.com/slash/fanvalues. Yeah, there's many ways to receive values throughout the year. You mentioned adding cards, cash, some of the other great deals throughout the year that will happen the entire year. If you come down on Sundays, select seats, uh, you can receive a free hot dog and soda on the Nathan's Famous uh, Family Sundays. Uh, there will also be the ice cream Sundays where you can go out to the Ford Plaza and receive uh, complimentary ice cream. Uh, but a number, number of great values throughout the year, and I would definitely – Look for those, and there's there's a way for for your family to have fun time coming to the ballpark and, quite frankly, an affordable way to come to the ballpark. Go to cardinals.com. Again, uh, sales for the multi-game packs right now are available. Friday, single-game tickets will go on sale, and you guys still have the 5-10 uh, and 10 game, for instance, ticket packs too, right, Joe? You're exactly right. All tickets are on sale coming Friday, but you can uh, guarantee yourself uh, tickets in the five and ten game packs if you want to guarantee yourself a ticket to opening day or some of the other great days throughout the year. So now's the time to make your ticket decisions because it's not far to opening day here at Bush Stadium. Yeah, Joe, you excited about uh, having another evening game to open up the season? It'll be Thursday night uh, against the Diamondbacks, and I know a little bit different last year, but it was the Sunday night game against the Cubs, and I think folks enjoyed having the sun go down and, and having a night game to open up the season at Bush Stadium. That was the uh, feedback that we received, and that's why we are going with another night game this year. And it's also a little bit unique also having it on Thursday as well. Uh, normally it seems like the openers are on a Monday or a Tuesday, but it's just the way the schedule worked out. And uh, so I think people enjoyed the, the night game last year, so we wanted to uh, do it again this year. And it's always fun uh, when we have the opener here in St. Louis. All right, fans, don't forget, right now you can guarantee your seats to the best games of the season before those tickets go on sale Friday. The multi-game on sale allows you to get tickets to three or more games. Go to cardinals.com, and then, of course, Friday, 10 a.m. Central, individual tickets on sale Friday, 10 a.m. Central at cardinals.com. Joe Strom, appreciate it, man. We'll see you at the ballpark. Looking forward to it. Well, thank you to all of our guests tonight. Thank you to the commissioner, Rob Manfred, president of baseball operations, John Mozeliak, Ozzy Smith, Lee Smith. Also, Jack Flaherty, Alex Reyes, and Dr. Robert Butler. Thank you also to Joe Strom from the Cardinals. Thank you to our executive producer, Ben Boyd, Mike Anderson, back in our Cardinals Network studios, and Sam Masterson doing an incredible job down here in Jupiter with us. For my partner, Mike Claiborne, I'm Chris Raby, saying have a wonderful rest of your week. By this time next week, we'll have a handful of games under our belts. And looking forward to talking to you a week from tonight right here on Cardinals Countdown Opening Day presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from sky- skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of 
the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.